Well, I tell you what, uh, it is, I'm beginning to get used to having a, what I would consider an empty auditorium because, or sanctuary because of the, uh, the, the social distancing restrictions. But uh, one of the things that I love about what we're doing right now is that the kids are in the service. And I know it's probably tough on some of the parents, but I love when I'm preaching and I hear kids talking. Uh, seriously, I do. Uh, I've been, many other the countries that I've been to, the children stay in the service and they're talking and babies are crying and stuff and it doesn't bother anybody at all. It's just, we're, we're a happy family. Well, we're supposed to be a happy family, but uh, I enjoy having the kids in the service. We're not, don't panic that we're not coming up with a new policy or anything like that, but um, you know that we're taking a break, but I enjoy having them here. And so don't, if you're, if you're uh, mothers, if your kids start acting like their dads, don't be embarrassed. Just let them do it. We're fine with that, I promise. But uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and so you can turn to 1 Corinthians. We're coming back to our study of 1 Corinthians. And um, when, I, when I began this series on 1 Corinthians, I was re- um, my gut feeling was, that I need to do this, but there are a lot of other books that I would rather study. But for some reason, I was compelled to go to 1 Corinthians. And little did I know how great of an opportunity we would have to apply what's in 1 Corinthians. We only got to chapter number 6 when coronavirus hit. And while everybody was pent up in their houses, uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter blew up onto the scene, and immediately in the country, with all of this happening, there's division, right? And I would say that most believers in the church at large would say that the church at large has failed miserably to be around, uh, unified around the gospel. Not only that, it just seems like our society is crumbling around us, doesn't it? You know, there's division everywhere we look to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, to abolish the police or not to abolish the police, to coffee drinkers and those who should be. And there's all kinds of divisions. And, and have you noticed something else? The, the, the division is getting worse. People are getting more polarized It's, that's just the way humanity is. You can see it from Genesis chapter number four, right? Right after the fall, one brother kills another brother. Nations end up dividing against nations and people can't get along. That's humanity. We see it in our country, you know, uh, after 9-11, the most stunning and hypocritical thing I think I've ever seen is Congress and Senate praying together. And then a few weeks later, they're at each other's throats, right? That's just the nature of things, people becoming more polarized. I, you know, the whole mask issue, I, when, when masks were first recommended, you could go into a store without a mask, and people would be more like, okay, you're not wearing a mask, I'm going to wear a mask, that's fine. But it's not that way anymore. Just the other day, I experienced it firsthand. I was, uh, uh, it was uh, one of those hot days, and I came out of the gym, and 
I'm too lazy to buy uh, batteries for the remote control of my truck. And so unlock the passenger side of my truck, throw my stuff in there, all my stuff, turn the truck on and unlock the door and close it and go around to get in the driver's seat, except that I didn't unlock it. I locked it. So now it's 95, my truck's running, and I'm, I don't have anything. I don't even have a spare key to that truck. That's the first time in my adult life I've locked my key in my car, Okay. So I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? And I saw a store, and I thought, okay, I can go over there. They, they, um, they have craft supplies. I, I will borrow a stick because my window was down a little bit. I knew I could get in there and roll that window down, right? So I walk in in my gym clothes, and everybody's wearing a mask. And the, the guy behind the counter, he looks at me like, what are you doing in here without a mask on? And I, I explained my situation. He wasn't inclined to help. You're going to have to go ask somebody else. So go to somebody else. And she kind of looks at me like, what do you want? And, and I know it's all because I didn't have a mask on. There was another couple there who looked at me like I was the most evil person on the face of the planet because I was endangering their life because I didn't have a mask on. I didn't have a way to get one. Long story short, I... There was a stick in the store. It was a dollar sixteen. They would not let me borrow the stick. <laughs> and I said, I don't have a wallet. I don't have a mask. I don't have anything. My truck's running outside. Sorry, I can't help you. This is the manager of the store. Finally, some other person said, you know what? I think I've got a couple dollars in the back. And they finally, the woman wouldn't let me leave with, that, with, the, stick, with the stick unless somebody gave her a couple dollars. So... I mean, our society, that's just the nature of humanity, isn't it? To get more and more polarized on every issue. Divisions like this leave normal, normal people craving something different. What do you think people's greatest desire is right now? Or what do you think a huge desire for people is? I think it would be this. I think people want peace and security and hope. I think people are tired of waking up every day in, ter- in uh, social turmoil. I think people want security from being attacked because they have a different opinion. And people want hope that one day things will be different. And this is where Christians are uniquely qualified to address these desires. Why? Because, exactly, because the gospel... The preaching of the cross is the only answer to these desires. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Isn't that what you have experienced? You know, at Christmas time we sing, well, I don't sing because people with good voices sing Handel's Messiah, right? But they sing a line from Isaiah chapter 9. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Just like the early church in Acts 10, we preach the good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ. We read in the Old Testament prophets about how the lion and the, and the wolf and the lamb will eat straw together. We see how um, um, there's a great harvest and plenty and there's peace everywhere, and we desire and we crave that peace, and the gospel offers peace where we need it most, 
And that is peace with God. That's why Jesus came to die. He came to die so that we can have peace with God. But a secondary result of that or a byproduct of that is that we can have peace with one another. But it's not natural to humanity to have peace with one another. And that is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul can look at the the right to the Corinthian peoples and tell them, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We have the solution to the turmoil in the world in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But think about this. People also want security. Most people in our country do not have a worldview. Would you agree with me? Uh, Did I say worldview? No. Let me repeat that. Most people in our country do not have a Christian worldview. They might believe in a higher power. They might even call themselves Christians because they believe the bio, some of the Bible stories about Jesus. But practically speaking, they live as if there is no God and there is nothing beyond this life in eternity. As a result, they invest everything into living the good life now. And then along comes some riots. Along comes a virus And all of a sudden, the world is not as secure as it once was. Am I going to lose my livelihood? Am I going to lose everything I've ever worked for? Am I going to lose my health, my ability to enjoy the one life that I have? Am I tracking right? And this is where the gospel can speak into a person's life. We know that this life is not all that there is. The best is yet to come. We are laying up treasures in heaven where no thief can steal, where moths won't eat it, where rust will not corrupt. Nothing can happen to it. A virus or another health diagnosis doesn't mean the end for us because we're looking to a heavenly, eternal kingdom. Do we want that kind of suffering here on this earth now? No, nobody in their right mind does, right? But we have security knowing that everything that we work for can never be touched. Praise God for that. It's eternal and incorruptible. People want hope. There, but when you, when you look at hope, what, what do most people think hope is? It, to most people in the world, Hope is nothing more than an optimistic attitude that my personal circumstances will one day change for the better. Am I right? We see this in every election. And if you play golf, you understand this kind of hope. Hopefully the next shot will be better. That's where I was. That's, that was my whole game, by the way. I hope the next shot will be better. <laughs> if you've never played golf, you don't understand, and that's fine. But the hope we offer in the gospel is far deeper than any temporal, optimistic desire that things will change. Our hope is firmly rooted in God himself. And we see what he has done in the past 
And we see what he is doing now. And because of that, we hope in his promises for the future. Hebrews 6.18 states, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to what? The hope that is set before us. That hope isn't some pie-in-the-sky attitude thing. It is assured because of what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. This is far different than that optimistic state of mind. Um, uh, Think about this. Like the patriarchs, we desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God because he's preparing for us a city. Amen? Amen. He is. The Christian is saved from, think about this. this. This, to me, is so important for us to understand. We are saved from the miserable condition of having a hope in Christ that is only applied to this life only. That what a miserable way to live. And by the way, let me say this. Why do people get so hateful to one another? Because if the only hope that people have are the 70 or 80 years of life that they live here, then they're going to fight savagely against anyone or anything that will stop that temporal hope. And that is one of the reasons why you see such polarization among humanity because of that temporal worldview. Now, our call to be Christ's disciples carries with it the hope of finally sharing in his glory. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven and will be realized when our Lord is revealed. And the existence of this hope makes it impossible for us to be satisfied with transient joys and allows us and enables us to suffer joyfully in this life. And because of these truths that I just laid out about the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christians should be the most unified people on the face of the earth. That was Christ's desire expressed in his high priestly prayer, wasn't it, John 17? If that is so, then it should strike you as very interesting that Paul had to write these words to the people in Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind with the same judgment. Now you have to ask yourself, how can a group of people with a collective purpose, glorifying God, and a collective destiny, eternal glory, saved through the same gospel by the same Savior, how can this group have divisions? How? How is that possible? 
The answer, according to 1 Corinthians, is that these believers were beginning to rely upon worldly philosophies. The automatic result is that they begin to follow human teachers. That's how he says in verse number 12 and 13, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul or Apollos or Cephas? No. And, and so when you begin to follow worldly philosophy and get your eyes off the gospel, then human teachers, whoever that happens to be, begins to rise up in your esteem. And that is what Paul meant when he said, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, and that would be worldly philosophy, but in a demonstration of spirit and power. Why? Why in that demonstration? So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And when you forget the gospel, you begin to rely upon the teaching of men. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a, a favorite teacher per se, is there? But it is a problem when your, your favorite teacher, we'll call him Dr. Big Brain, whoever it happens to be, uh, becomes the authority. And you measure anyone against Dr. Big Brain. And anyone who disagrees with your favorite authority, you begin to view with suspicion because you follow your favorite teacher exclusively. And that is what Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And then the really spiritual ones who say, I only follow Jesus Christ. The second problem when one forgets the gospel is they begin to rely upon human wisdom and teaching. Paul didn't forget the gospel. Instead, he said this. He said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So firm was he in his commitment to the gospel that he said this, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how firm he was in his commitment. He went on to say, later on, he was so firm in that, that the gospel ended up being his crescendo of hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, that glorious chapter on the resurrection, he begins that chapter, which is all about our resurrected bodies by reminding them, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are also being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, hold fast to that gospel. And what is that gospel? At the minimum, that gospel is this, verses three and four. I delivered unto you of first importance what I also received, that Christ, one, died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was, number two, buried, 
And then he was number three, raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, at the minimum. There's more to it than that, but that's the essence, that's the, the very central core of the gospel. And it is, and that it is that resurrection then that is explained in all its glory. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture is his basis for the whole explanation of 1 Corinthians 15. And he gets to this wonderful crescendo of praise in the end of 1 Corinthians where he says this, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen for that. That's the gospel that we're clinging to. That's the gospel that gives us our hope. This world, in all its dysfunction, is not our home. We're exiles. We're sojourners. We're going to a heavenly home in perfect bodies where COVID-19 cannot disrupt, with perfect minds and perfect unity with, our, with one another and with God Almighty. Man alive, do we have a lot to look forward to. This message of the gospel is exciting to us who are being saved. You're, are you excited? Man, I am. I'm excited. I'm not on social media anymore. Um, it hadn't had any benefit for me in years. I don't even, I don't watch Fox News, CNN, ABC, CBS, any of that. I'm still informed, by the way. Now, I really don't care what so-and-so Hollywood star did now, I don't care what insult one politician did to another. It's not going to change my life, right? But I tell you what, I can't wait to get to heaven. Now, the gospel message is so exciting to us and is glorious and wonderful and encouraging. And we can't understand why everybody is not like us. Paul tells us why. 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Our meeting here, talking about a man who died and was buried and supposedly rose again the third day, is absolute foolishness to the vast majority of the people living in our country. That we're sitting here on a beautiful Sunday morning, singing songs and praying together rather than out at the lake or taking a walk in the mountains or whatever else it is, that is foolishness. Why on earth do you believe that pie-in-the-sky, feel-good stuff from an ancient scripture written by a bunch of sheep herders? And Paul acknowledges that. The message that we proclaim reconciliation through the gospel is foolishness to the natural man. The natural person, that's a person without the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. 
and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And that's the explanation right there. Their foolishness to them because they do not have the Spirit of God working in their hearts. That's the explanation. So mankind, what do they do in all their brilliance? Well, they rely upon the wisdom of Democrats and Republicans. They rely upon the wisdom of the latest in psychological theory in all its ever-changing theories. What is in, in 2020 in psychological theory in two years will be out. It changes that quickly. And that's what people are relying upon. And so they pick an expert, whoever happens to be. This is my expert. I choose to believe him. You choose that guy. I can't get along with you because you like that guy. And in all of their wisdom and in all of their great insight, they can't get anything right. The world is in disarray, isn't it? So the gospel brings us hope. It's an awesome message. And the gospel does something else. It changes the way we live, doesn't it? It teaches us holiness and righteousness. We can't get saved and live any way we want. First of all, that would be a complete affront to the God who saved us, wouldn't it? It would be completely unloving to Jesus to say, yeah, Jesus, I know you died for my sin. You hate my sin that much, but I'm going to live any way I want. To not follow the desires of the one who rescued us from eternal damnation would be ungrateful. But there's another reason why we live differently. The gospel teaches that uh, judgment is coming. In 1 Corinthians 4, in verse number 5, he says, When Jesus comes, the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart that each one will receive as commendation from God. Commended, commendation from God. The judgment is coming at the end of the age when Jesus comes. And as a church, what are we to do as a church in response to this coming judgment? What are we to do? We are, with the best of our ability, follow Jesus Christ as best we can. Love him. Make sure our desires are in sync with his desires. But in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, which is written to a divided church, there's some other things that we must do as well to follow suit. And that is, number one, we are to strive for purity in the church through the exercise of church discipline. The Corinthian church was tolerating a form of impurity that even the pagans didn't tolerate. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. They were allowing that to happen. Verse number seven, as our Passover lamb, Jesus came to save us from that impurity. Therefore, verse number 13, he says, we ought, we, they need to purge this evil person out of the church. Why? Why purge evil out of the church? The answer is this. Are you not arrogant? 
Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, for as you are really unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the, leaven, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The immoral person is compared to yeast. Yeast has seems very insignificant, but if you don't put that tiny little packet of yeast in your cinnamon rolls, they're going to be cinnamon cookies, right? I, actually, I don't know why. That, somebody try that sometime. Let me know how it goes. But don't give me any because I don't want them. But what does our culture say? Our culture says we can tolerate this stuff because we have freedom. We have liberty. We can live any way we want. And as long as I am not hurting you, leave me alone. But Scripture is clear that evil in the body of Jesus Christ doesn't stay with one person. It spreads just like leaven throughout the whole church. And so the instruction to the church is to deal with such sin seriously. Why? Why do we have to be so serious about it? Because, because we're a bunch of meanies who don't believe in personal freedom? No, because Christ, our Passover lamb, died to pay for such sins as those. It's so important that we understand that. The church is not being mean when it practices church discipline. The second response to the coming judgment, by the way, is to refrain from avenging ourselves. In chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, which is the last chapter that we went through before COVID virus, and we didn't finish it, we got partway through it. In chapter 6, the, 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 there's some believers who have a grievance one against another. And so because they're not getting their way in the church for whatever reason in this grievance, they go to court. The church was easily equipped to handle the dispute. That's what, chap, that's what verse number two says in chapter six. Believers will judge the world. Instead, believers were filling, filing lawsuits against other believers in court, against unbelie- or, or in the court of unbelievers. Notice Paul's judgment in verse number seven. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Because you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You are bound together in sacred bonds of gospel love. And so now you must forgive. You must turn the other cheek. You must practice patience. You must leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. And when you do that, and the world watches as relationships come under pressure, and there's every reason for the, the relationship in the church to fracture, turn sour and ugly. And instead, when the church 
pursues joy and pursues one another in love and seeks reconciliation, God, or Paul says that is a victory. And that is what we are to do as believers. Leave the avenging to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Look, I know what some people have said. I, I, I have been through these situations on multiple occasions in the church. And invariably, what one believer will say is this. They'll say, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but there's no justice because Christ died for that. And so nothing's going to happen. And I want to look at them and say, but what sins of yours did Christ die for? Isn't that unfair as well? Because we want our personal skin, right? We want skin and judgment when it comes to this idea of personal vengeance. And it's not, just not biblical. If the person who is, is oppressing you is unsaved, their judgment will be coming. If the person who is defrauding you is a believer and they will not listen to the church, vengeance is not yours. Vengeance is God's, and it was already paid through Jesus Christ. And to me, that's really unfair. But he also paid for our sins. And so as a church, because of this gospel, we pursue purity in the church. Dear brothers and sisters, let us, as a church, be the one place where there is no division. What heals division between us and a holy God is the dying love of Jesus Christ, that sacrificial love that he sacrificed for us. And what heals division between one believer and another believer is dying to self-love for another person. And so we, and this is basically this, you ready? This is profound. It's literally love God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how when Jesus said, if you do those two things, it, you'll fulfill the law and the prophets. That's literally what we're talking about today when it comes to this matter of, of healing divisions. And so parents, parents, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Teach your children the gospel through your words. Teach them the gospel through the way that you love them and through the way that you love people in the church. Teach them the gospel by the way that you trust God to avenge the wrongs done to you. Teach them the gospel by the way you maintain a pure life and strive for purity in the church. And they'll grow up and they will say, that gospel that my mom and dad believe is the real deal because they lived what they said they believed. Amen. Oh, eternal glory. The eternal glory of Jesus Christ is at stake here. And he, Christ has given us an awesome privilege of proclaiming his glory, of proclaiming the message of peace and security and hope to a world that right now, and I don't think it's just limited to the United States, I think it's the entire planet. That's what they crave. 
and we've got the message. Let's go out and proclaim it to the world, and let's live it here in our relationships with one another. Praise be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, what privilege we have of knowing God. What privilege we have of knowing that the price has been paid, that we have peace with God. How wonderful it is that we have security because this world is not our home. And that in turn brings hope because we have an eternal weight of glory waiting for us when we cross over from this life. Praise be to Jesus Christ for his glorious gospel. We love you, God. Amen. Will you stand and we'll sing a song of praise.